And so if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been looking at, uh, we've been looking at song lyrics during these four Sundays before Christmas. We've been looking at, like I said, the, the, the Christmas carols of the Bible as they are given to us in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And we've called this series the, the Perfect Christmas Carols. Perfect because they are in God's Word. We started with the song of Mary after the angel had appeared to her in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and the angel appeared to, to tell her what was about to happen to her. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the song of of the formerly silenced priest named Zacharias after the birth of his son John. And then last week we rejoiced with the angels as they appeared to the shepherds that same night that the baby was born and they sang a song together, this angel choir, uh, which in Latin is Gloria in Excelsis Deo, that song, Glory to God in the Highest. Well, there's one more song in Luke chapter 2, and this one comes from a man named Simeon. And this happens not in Bethlehem anymore, but in Jerusalem, some 40 days after Jesus had been born. After the manger scene in Bethlehem, which included the shepherds on that night that he was born, Joseph and Mary eventually take Jesus about six miles north to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, particularly to the temple, where they... uh, want to present him to the Lord as part of a Jewish customary, traditional um, purification ceremony. And it's there that Simeon makes his entrance into the Christmas story. This is the only time we ever read about Simeon in the Bible. He just shows up in this very short section. And, and so we want to dive right in and read about him and his song lyrics. He shows up in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and I'm going to be reading right up to verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For your eyes, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul, through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Our Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who we just read about and, for, and, and the one who helps us understand, who, who illumines your word so that your people might be able to, to look at it and to see it and to apply it to their lives. And so we pray that your spirit would do that work in us this morning as we look at the last of these songs that 
that Luke has seen fit to put in your Bible and that you have seen fit to inspire in your word. And so we thank you for your word and we pray now that you would uh, empower it and, and, and help it to, to transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one of the things that we love about this time of the year is all the sights of Christmas. On Thursday night, we went as a family to, to a couple of the light displays that are in our area. One was on a, at a farmyard, uh, southwest, I guess it, it is, of Leduc. I think it was called the Country Christmas Lights. And the other was at a raceway out by the International Airport. And, and as a family, we like to drive around sometimes and, and just look at all the lights. There's a beautiful display here just on the west side of town as well as you're heading up to the golf course. But, but those are some of the sights that we love as a family. So what are your favorite Christmas sights? Maybe one of them is that you enjoy just sitting in front of a, a crackling, you know, stocking-hung fireplace. Or in the front of your decorated Christmas tree. Maybe you love that sight. Maybe it's the sight of the carolers. Maybe it's the sight of bell ringers. Maybe you love... School, concert, uh, school concerts every year, or the Christmas pageants, or the presents, or the reindeer, or, or whatever it might be, the Christmas baking, the Christmas movies. Maybe you just enjoy seeing the stuff at the malls and the stores. Now, I don't quite get you if you're like that, but that's okay. We're all different. Maybe it's all of the above. Maybe you love all the things about Christmas. There are, there are lots of sites that are associated that are distinct to Christmas. Now, I want us to go back, though. That's talking about now and how Christmas has sort of evolved in the time that we live. But as you think about the very first Christmas story, is there any part of that story that you would just love to go back and see? If you could go backwards to that time, what part of it would, be, would, would you be drawn to? There's still some children here that are maybe a little older than, than the three to six-year-olds that left. Um, what part do you want to see? You guys are usually better at using your imaginations than us adults are. Maybe you would have loved to have been one of those shepherds watching their flocks at night when, when all of a sudden the darkness lit up and one angel and then a choir of angels or an army of angels, as we talked about it last week, came and praised God. Or maybe you would have loved to have been part of that conversation between Mary and Elizabeth when we read of the fact that the baby jumped in Elizabeth's womb as Mary came. Or maybe even back further when the angel first came and told Joseph, as we read about in Matthew, or Mary, as we read about in Luke, what was about to happen. Maybe you just love to have seen their reaction. Or or how about when the wise men were trying to follow a a moving star that eventually stopped right there over a house in Bethlehem. Or maybe you'd like to have been there when Joseph and, and the pregnant Mary now took that trip from their home in Nazareth down to Bethlehem to register for the census. What would they have been talking about as, as they took that journey? Or maybe after Jesus was born, when they had to leave Bethlehem because King Herod was in a fit of jealousy, looking to kill all the boys under two. What would that long, this is a really long journey now, probably about 150 kilometers at least, trip to Egypt have been like? 
Or maybe even the journey back from, from Egypt back up to Nazareth when everything was safe again. Or maybe, like most of us likely imagined when we were young, I know I did, that we, we would have loved to be there in that stable, around that manger, in that peaceful scene that we observe all the time in, in, in our nativities sets. We'd love for those characters to come to life, right? That's why we enjoy seeing the Christmas pageant so much, because the characters do come to life in some way. They, they help us feel like we are part of that scene. They stoke our imaginations. Well, when our imaginations are stoked like that, we, we could say that we, that, that we have a kind of longing for those kinds of sights. We might yearn to, to go back and to be a fly on the wall and to be part of that uh, history-changing, eternity-transforming moment when God the Son came to earth as baby Jesus. We long to look back. Well, as we look at the last of our... Christmas carol songwriters or singers today, we'll notice that Simeon spent a good part of his life longing to look forward to that same event. Not backwards like we do, but forwards. His imagination was running wild too. But, but unlike us, he didn't have anything to look back on. He had something to look forward to. It's a little different, isn't it? He was trying to imagine what it would be like when the baby came. We can think of Simeon's imagination in the same way we might imagine what future things might be like. If you're young, you might imagine what it might be like to to have your own car, or to have your own house, or to be married, or to have children. But from a spiritual perspective, Simeon's imaginations would kind of be like us trying to imagine what it will be like when Jesus comes again. That's probably how we have to Think about Simeon. What will that look like? Well, Simeon was waiting for Jesus to come the first time. He he was yearning and longing to see what it would be like when the Savior came. Somehow, we aren't told how or when, God the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would see the Lord's Christ. And ever since that time, he longed to see, as it says in verse 26, the Lord's Christ. So, so let's see what we can learn here from Simeon's song. What did Simeon see when he came upon the baby? And let's extend that question to us here today. What do you see when you see the baby? What should we be looking for when our eyes land on baby Jesus? Well, let's go back and find out a little bit more about this man who sang this perfect Christmas carol. We see first that he is indeed an an expectant servant. He calls himself a servant down in verse 29, and we'll we'll look at that in just a little bit. But Simon, or Simeon here, is, is almost anxious with expectation. Look again at verse 25 and, and 26. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That word waiting there gives that sense of of longing and of expectation. Some translations bring the sense of sight into it. They say that he was looking for the consolation of 
Israel. We have a, a carol that, that talks about that sense of expectation. Come thou long expected Jesus. The first verse goes like this. Come thou long, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. Simeon's heart was longing for the Messiah. That's what the consolation of Israel means. The the expectation from the prophets, especially Isaiah, was that the Messiah would come to comfort or to console his people Israel. So Simeon was waiting for, he was looking for the the consolation of Israel to come. So first question we should ask ourselves when we look at this is who even was this Simeon? Was there something special about him that, that the Holy Spirit would reveal this to him? Why was he the guy that would write this song and have that song recorded even in the Word of God for time and forever? Who was he? Well, verse 25 just says very simply, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. That's all. He was a man. There's no description here of his occupation. There's nothing great or outstanding about him that we read about here. And that's so much like the rest of the characters in the Christmas story, from Zacharias to Mary to the shepherds at that original Christmas. Simeon, too, was ordinary. God is using, again, the ordinary and the humble to usher in the extraordinary. Instead of Mary the teenager carrying the future Lord and King, a queen might have made more sense. Instead of angels revealing the baby to shepherds, more influential and more well-thought-of people might have made a little bit more sense. And you just think of this scene. When Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple courts to offer a sacrifice, as it says in the verse just before the section that I read there in verse 24, they should have been met by one of the priests to have that done. Or at least some kind of temple official that, that, that could accept their sacrifice, that was qualified to be able to do that. It should have said, now there was a priest at the temple in Jerusalem as Mary and Joseph were up there. Yet God plans this so that they meet up with a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. A man who had no special status, a man who had no high office. The best that could be said about him was that he was a man in Jerusalem. But that's only looking at it from the outside. He was ordinary, but he was also, the end of verse 25, righteous and devout. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. We might say that he was a good man in God's eyes. And he was devout, meaning that he was devoted to the things of God. He, he may not have been a Jerusalem celebrity. He may not have been a famous man. He may not have been an influential man even. But he was a righteous and devout man. Those are the kinds of people that God uses. People who are righteous and devout. It's how we should strive to be described. It's what God asks of his people, that they are devoted to the things of God. Simeon was such a man. He was ordinary, he was righteous and devout, 
and he was spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit was upon him, it says. Now again, you, you just have to look at this from a, from a, a, a biblical um, progression. This is before the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, when the, when the Holy Spirit would come and power and indwell believers. But in the Old Testament, when we read that the Holy Spirit is upon someone, and sort of, we're sort of still, even though we're in the New Testament, we're still in the Old Testament era because Jesus is just coming onto the scene. But in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes and is upon someone, it's usually for a specific task given by God. Like when he filled the spirit of or when he filled some men with a spirit back in Exodus 31 in order to carry out God's blueprint for building the tabernacle. It says that these men were filled by the spirit. And, and, and that was the same here with Simeon. We see it in others in the Old Testament as well. And you look at Samson, or, or, or even King Saul for a time was filled by God's spirit to, to do something, and when he disobeyed, the spirit of God was taken away from him. We see it with, like I said, with, with David and with others, with a lot of the judges. And here we see it with Simeon. We see his a special assignment from God in verse 26, this task that he's been given. And really it's not as much a task as a prediction. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and we don't know again how or when, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is Simeon's special word from God. And you have to notice the, the, the eye words there, the ocular words, the seeing words. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he knows he's going to, to die, but at some point, before Simeon would die, he would see the Christ. He would behold the Savior. His eyes would land on the Lord's anointed one. He would see the one that God the Father was sending to this world to save his people from their sins. Simeon would see him. Can you imagine having something like that revealed to you? How would that make you feel? It would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. It would be humbling. And it would produce no shortage of questions. Longing, waiting, looking. Could, could this be it? Is it going to happen now? Just imagine what his life would have been like following that revelation. Again, if you want to get a taste of what it was like for Simeon, you have to imagine if somehow God would reveal to you that you would not see death before the Lord will return again. Now that might happen. He may come before we die, we die and we hope he does. And that would be great, but, but we don't know unless it has been revealed to one of you and you haven't told me. But if you did know, think about what your life would be like. I'm pretty sure that would have you on edge, you know, looking for signs, waiting, expecting, wondering, could this be it? Is this the sign? Is it going to happen now? Same sort of thing. And it would produce no small degree of anxiety. I'm not sure how I'd be able to rest and to have peace, ever. I'd constantly be wondering, when? Be on pins and needles. The, the expectation would be heightened. And so it was for Simeon. And we have to read verse 28 with those sort of thoughts in mind. This is his moment. 
You almost have to picture this scene as one of those where, where you're, you know, when you're watching a chase on TV and you're, you're, you're looking at the scene from, from up high on a helicopter there, and, and they're, they're chasing the car, they're trying to send it towards this roadblock and you can see the car chase and you can see the roadblock, you can see what's about to happen, but down there, they, that driver has no clue. So here in Luke 2, on one side you see Simeon coming into the temple. And on the other side, you see Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus, and and they're walking towards each other, and they're about to meet. And it says, he came in the Spirit into the temple. Simeon came into the Spirit in the temple, and Mary and Joseph are probably just wandering about looking for a priest to do this ceremony. But instead, for them, they run into a man named Simeon. And in God's providence... This is that moment. Simeon sees the Lord's Christ. His eyes land on the Messiah, and he knew immediately. In verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms, and he blessed God. The time had come. This was it. And that leads Simeon, the expectant servant, to become Simeon, the singing servant. And so we have here, in verses 29 to 32, really a a six-line poem, six-line song. It's how Simeon responds to finally seeing what he'd been told all these years, maybe, that he'd see. It's how he responds to finally seeing what he'd been waiting to see. It's a song, really a prayer to God. It says that he blessed God and he said, and look at verse 29 again. He blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. One commentator says this is a psalm-like adoration of praise to God, a spirit of rhapsody due to God stirring, stirring the highest impulses of Simeon's soul. So remember what the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And that's where Simeon starts this praise song to God. Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace. He's saying that I can now die in peace. His striving and his longing had been completed. He can now rest. The Holy Spirit had made good on his promise to Simeon. He calls himself a servant. A better translation might be slave. When he says, now you're letting your slave depart in peace, it's almost like he feels like he's been set free from slavery. The, the restlessness and expectation and, and anticipation that he had felt is now over. And his hands, in his hands, he's holding, and his eyes have landed on the Lord's Christ. He sees him. And here's yet another part of the Christmas story, did you notice, that includes peace in connection with seeing Jesus. Uh, The angel chorus that we looked at last week sang, uh, when they sang about Jesus, they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And Jesus brings people peace, peace with God and peace from the restlessness of life without Christ. That's what Jesus comes to bring. He brings peace 
from where before there was restlessness. If you're a Christian, you know this peace. Like Simeon, you're holding on to the Lord's Christ. You're you're trusting Christ. And now you have peace. A peace that Paul describes as peace that passes all understanding. You're free from the power and the penalty of sin. You have peace knowing that Jesus accomplished and worked out your salvation for you. You have peace in knowing that your future is secure. You have peace knowing that you will not be punished for your sins because Jesus has taken that penalty instead of you by dying on the cross. Peace. I can depart in peace. It was the early church father, Augustine, who prayed, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Maybe you don't know whether you will depart in peace. Whether if you will die, when you will die, you will be at peace with God. I encourage you to see your sin and then to look to Christ and to see in him salvation. Simeon looked at Jesus and saw salvation, right? As he was looking at the child in his arms, what does he see? Verse 29, you are letting me depart in peace according to your word, for, here's why, my eyes have seen, he doesn't see, my eyes have seen Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. What does he see when he sees the baby? He sees God's salvation. He sees in Jesus God's great plan of saving a people to himself. This is a song of salvation for all people. For Gentiles and Israel. Peace with God comes by seeing and holding on to Christ, the Savior. Simeon says that Jesus is salvation that God has prepared in the presence of all people. Not just Israel, but Gentiles. That, that likely, you have to know that that likely would have been a dangerous thing for this man to say, especially right there in the Jewish temple courts. It's probably a good thing that the only people that heard this were Joseph and Mary and Jesus himself, the baby, as much as he could understand when he's 40 days old. We wouldn't understand much, but this is Christ. It might be a little different. That the Gentiles were included in God's salvation would have been extremely offensive to the Jews. Back in that day, the Gentiles were seen as the oppressors. To the Jews, they were certainly not worthy of salvation. Never. The Messiah was, in their understanding, coming to save them from the Gentiles, from Roman oppression at that time. They were not worthy of salvation. But that's exactly what the Spirit of God prompted Simeon to sing. And for us, this is great news as well, not just because we're Gentiles, but because we see that God accepts those who are seemingly unworthy of God's salvation. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us. But God's salvation has reached down to us in grace if we repent and believe the gospel. So Simeon sings the song of salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. It's a beautiful song, a a praise song, a song of joy for Simeon, even a song of relief and release for Simeon. We might say that this song was written in a major key. A key that sounds happy, a key in which 
everything is resolved in a way that's pleasing to our ears. And that's how it sounded to his parents. Verse 33 says that Jesus' father and mother marveled at what Simeon said about him. But look at verses 34 and 35. In those verses, we see that Simeon adds another verse to the song. He's not quite done yet. It's a part of the song that comes kind of unexpected. It seems like the song is over. Everything, like I said, has resolved. It's resolved for Simeon. He can depart in peace. Joseph and Mary are marveling, but Simeon isn't done yet. This is not just another verse. This is actually a verse with a key change. In fact, the key change goes from a major key to a minor key. It just doesn't happen. Simeon sees something else when he sees this child. At first, it moves him to sing a song of salvation when he looks at the child, but as he keeps looking down at that child, he's also moved to sing a song of suffering. Look again at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the first, we might say, negative note in all of Luke's gospel. When he finishes singing to the Lord, he turns to Joseph and Mary. He blesses them. And so far, so good. But then he looks right at Mary, and it was likely probably revealed to to Simeon that Joseph would die before Jesus was going to start his public ministry at age 30, somewhere in between there. Joseph died because we don't read about him anymore once once Jesus starts traveling the roads of, of Israel. And Simeon probably knew this, so he's looking right at Mary now. And he says, and starts talking to her about what exactly was going to happen in order for Jesus to be the salvation for all people. What would need to happen in order for him to be that? It, It would come at a cost, is what he's saying, and what he saw. It would cost Jesus suffering and torment, and it would eventually cost Jesus his life. And that suffering and that crucifixion would feel to Mary like a sword piercing through her soul. Her her child would mean salvation for all people? Yes. But it would cause his mother great grief and would cause excruciating pain in her spirit. When Simeon saw the baby, he saw salvation, but he also saw that that salvation would be accomplished through suffering. And he wanted to make sure that Mary knew what was coming. That this baby that Simeon was holding in his arms would one day be nailed to a wooden cross. But Jesus' death would not only affect Mary. The baby will affect all of us too. This child, it says, will be appointed for the fall and rising of many. And for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. That word many includes everyone in this room today. So what do you see when you see Jesus? 
I'm just going to use this mic, Ben. You can turn this one off, I think. What do you see when you see Jesus? Friends, Jesus is a source of separation and division. You see that here? Your answer to that question will decide whether you fall on account of rejecting Jesus or whether you are raised up with Jesus by grace through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Jesus will reveal the thoughts of your heart. He will expose the thoughts of your heart. He will shine a light into your heart and those thoughts of your heart will be revealed. You see, you can't stop with beholding Jesus as a cute baby. Another way to put that is that you always have to see Christmas with Easter in the distance. You have to see not only that Jesus is in Mary's womb, but that Jesus was laid in a tomb. And so the question is, how will you see Jesus as he suffers? He suffered and died in the place of sinners. When you see the baby... Do you see that he would willingly absorb the suffering and the death that your sins deserve? If you believe that, if you come to rely on Christ's death and life, if you come to count only on Christ's death and life rather than yours, then you will be raised with him in his resurrection. But on the other hand, if you do not look at Jesus that way, you will fall. You will have to absorb the suffering that your sins deserve. So either Jesus takes them or you take them. Either Jesus takes the punishment or you take the punishment. Friends, Jesus was appointed so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Simeon could see that. So don't let this Christmas go by without seeing sweet Jesus in his birth. Yes, definitely. See the sights. See the sweetness, see the wonder, see the glory, sing the, the, the songs of Christmas in a major key. But don't let this Christmas go by without also singing in a minor key once in a while. It's not a bad thing. See Jesus in his suffering. See Jesus on the cross as the one that God sent to die for you, and then see Jesus raised from the dead so that you can have life. Which will then make you end the song back in a major key as you sing about the fact that he came to save you, that he came to give you peace with God, that he came to give you eternal life. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Well, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to invite our singers to come up and we're going to sing a song in a major key all right let's pray together our god and heavenly father we have been astounded again as we've looked at this as we looked at all the these passages over this christmas season how great these songs have been they have been so chock full of of depth and and profundity, and most of all, they've helped us understand in more fuller ways the the good news that is the Incarnation, you coming to earth in the person of your Son, the Word made flesh, full of grace and truth, this, this light that has come to shine into the darkness,
We thank you for allowing us, yes, us, to see his glory. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes even wider so that we can truly see Jesus in his fullness. Help us to glory in his salvation and to even even rejoice in his sufferings and in his afflictions. For as the prophet Isaiah said, it's by his stripes that we are healed, healed from our sins, freed from our slavery. And now we pray that you would help us to to now go out with joy and to go out with singing, to glorify and to praise you just as those shepherds did so many years ago. We bless you, our God and our Savior. Amen.